You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Cool, so let's, let's jump right in. Uh, we have a lot of text to cover today, and I know that there are nachos that need to be prepared and things like that. So I'll do my best to be quick. Um, here's essentially the situation that we find Jesus in, right? Um, there are two women. Uh, by the name of Martha and Mary, who have both lost their brother Lazarus uh, to illness. Right? He's, Lazarus has become ill. He's now passed away. Martha and Mary are currently um, sitting Shiva, which is essentially a Jewish tradition um, where not only the family mourns the death of their family member, but the entire community comes together, surrounds them um, with, with uh, fellow uh, and appropriate mourning together. Now, lamentably, I think many of us have stood in Martha and Mary's shoes. And while we not, may not be Jewish and may not have um, walked through that tradition of mourning, I think many of us in the room have either lost a brother or maybe a, a mother or a father or a spouse or a child or just someone who was of great um, importance to us in this world. And so we have tasted these same tears um, that are now streaming down the faces of Martha and of Mary and the rest of the Jews that have come to surround them with support during this funeral time. And so I think for many of us, even just bringing that to our attention, even just sort of reading uh, this experience of, of Martha and Mary, maybe it has called to mind to us those people or that, that person um, that has passed away. And so a fresh sting is brought to old wounds. Maybe there's a, a remembering of that familiar ache in our chest that comes back as we ponder the absence of that beloved person. This is the sting of death. The ache of death. The ache of something that is so familiar, so expected, and that there is there's no one that we that we have had the pleasure of knowing that has escaped or conquered the reality of a physical bodily death. And yet it's so unfamiliar and so unexpected every single time because we were never meant to experience the reality of death. That that is something that has come upon us because we have chosen, right? for ourselves, to be our own gods rather to, than to live in communion with the God that is what? Light and life, right? And that this is now our reality. And as we're drawn back to those moments in, in our memories, I think that many of us maybe ask some similar questions when that person that we loved so dearly passed away. Perhaps it was, how can, how can I escape Right, this, this painful reality, this emotional weight that I now bear, that I have been confronted with, that I've always known was there but never really understood until it was someone that was important to me that passed away. Or maybe we've asked ourselves, how can I escape this fate for myself? How can I be released from this reality that one day I will be no more? Or maybe for some of us it's just, how can I bear this? 
How do I keep myself together? And it's amazing the lengths that people will go to either to prolong life or to perhaps take life back up again in the future, whether it's Larry King, um, who's wanting to have himself frozen on the off chance that cryogenics work, or maybe it's a New York Times piece about a young, uh, Times piece about a young woman named Kim Swozy, this young woman of 23 years old who had her brain cryogenically frozen after passing away from cancer in hopes that one day, quote, Kim's brain could be preserved in sub-zero storage so that decades or centuries from now, if science advanced, her billions of interconnected neurons could be scanned, analyzed, and converted into computer code that mimic how they once worked. Now you might think that Kim is just some rich, eccentric young woman, um, but she was actually actively studying cognition and neuroscience at the time of her death, and in her death, her one hope was that through cognitive and neuroscientific advances, she would one day rise again. And this is tragic, and I think that John 11 is going to tell us why. In the text, we see three different responses to death and to its sting, and only one of which is capable of giving us the hope that we need. And so I'm going to read from verse 20, starting in verse 20, and we're going to look at how Martha responds uh, to the death of her brother Lazarus and the late arrival of her friend Jesus. So verse 20 says this, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. We'll talk about why that's important in a little bit. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, at first glance, we may think that this is fairly innocuous in terms of this seems like a fairly casual encounter between Martha and between Jesus, and that Martha seems relatively unaffected. And yet I think what we're, what we're watching here is Martha um, handling this emotional weight, this reality of the difficulty of this situation by appealing to her knowledge. Right? In that in verses 22 and in verse 24, we see Martha respond to this reality that Lazarus is no longer here with, but I know. With, but I know. It's almost like she's reassuring herself in this moment. Now, this isn't to say that Martha doesn't have faith in Jesus, but it is to say that she is trying to find comfort somewhere other than Jesus. And that's in her knowledge. Her response to Lazarus' death and to Jesus' late arrival is to retreat into what she knows. This idea of a resurrection on the last day that is yet to come, which is part of her, 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 um, her Jewish, her Israelite worldview. right? That one day, in the future, somewhere in the future, there will be a great resurrection, and I know that Lazarus in that time will experience this resurrection. Her response to Jesus' questions are much more intellectual than emotional. She's engaging her knowledge more than her feelings. 
And so let's look at Mary and see if she's any, any different. Verse 28 says this, When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Verse 31, When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary, unlike Martha, responds with, with great emotion. And some of us may think at, at first glance, right, there's not a lot of, maybe not a, a ton of evidence for that. And there's not an ongoing conversation between Mary and Jesus in this moment like there was with Martha. But what John tells us is that, Martha, that, that Mary, unlike Martha, throws herself down at Jesus' feet. There's no, there's no rationalizing. There's no, there's no anything like that. She's, she's weeping. She's in tears. She's surrounded by friends and family who are also in tears. She falls at Jesus' feet, and, and in the middle of her weeping, she is able to essentially form this same phrase, this same reality to Jesus when she says, Lord, if you had only been here, if you had only been here, then my brother would not have died. So where Martha responded by engaging her intellect, Mary responds by engaging her emotions. Right? She's more engaged in the grieving, the mourning process. And we can see that in that upon hearing that Jesus is coming, Martha actually leaves, which you're not supposed to do when you're sitting Shiva. Right? She gets up, she goes out and she meets Jesus. Because she's She's trying to essentially find an answer, a way to process this reality for herself that the mourning process is not adequately accomplishing for her. And then when Mary comes out, she's very much engaged. And all of these people come alongside with her and are also experiencing this weight of emotion, this depth of despair in the reality of the death of their brother. And she falls to Jesus' feet weeping. And so how does Jesus respond? Right, we've, seen, we've seen Martha, we've seen Mary, both of them sort of respond in different ways, in different, uh, it, with a different sort of emphasis on what they're experiencing in the moment. And this is how Jesus responds. And Jesus, I, I think, responds uh, in a way that's, that's quite interesting um, when you juxtapose Martha and Mary. Verse 33 says this, When Jesus saw her weeping, that is Mary, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So there's, there's three things that we see um, take place with Jesus here. And the first is that, that, he's, that he's deeply moved. That as he looks at this, this funeral procession, as he looks at both his, his beloved friend Mary and the other mourners around him weeping, he is deeply moved. 
Now here's the thing, if you have an ESV Bible, there's probably a little asterisk or something, uh, like a little one right next to that word moved, because there's actually an, an alternate uh, translation uh, that I think, honestly, just based on, on my study, is more appropriate. And it says that he was indignant. So it says that when Jesus saw her weeping, and those who had come with her that were also weeping, he was indignant. That Jesus in that moment experiences a real, visceral anger. That he's upset in this moment. But here's the thing, what what is it that is making Jesus indignant? What is it that is making Jesus in in his spirit indignant and greatly troubled? Which the, the image for this idea of being greatly troubled is uh, when, you, when you go back to the original language, it would, it would be something that they described essentially uh, to, to, or used to describe an animal uh, that was bristling, right? Like an animal that was ready like, to, to, to engage in battle. But here's the thing we know from the first portion of, of chapter 11, which we didn't read this morning, but we know that Jesus was. That, that, that Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead, first of all, and that Jesus knew that he was coming to Bethany in order to raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, he tells the disciples as much. I mean, that's what he says. He says, hey, um, our, our brother Lazarus has gone to sleep. We're going to go wake him. And the disciples knew that, that Lazarus has been, had been ill, and so they're like, oh, great, he's awake. That means he's going to get better. So we don't really need to go that direction. And Jesus is like, no, you don't, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead, and we're going to wake him him and so what is it like if jesus knows that he's about to raise lazarus from the dead why why indignant why bristling why weeping and i think it's because jesus is (laughs) jesus is experiencing something entirely different um, than maybe the rest of the crowd And that's that that Jesus, um, in in his humanity, one understands the the pain and the suffering that has been brought about that now exists in the world. That that, that that's even a reality, right? That Jesus, right? If if we believe uh, what John chapter one says was in the beginning with God, that all things were created through Him, right? Or as Colossians would say, by Him, through Him, and for Him, all things were created. Then Jesus knows that. This was, never, this was never something that we were meant to experience. And so he's viscerally upset that death is a real thing, that it is something that his beloved people experience day in and day out. And so he's angry, but he's also bristling because I think he's got one eye. He's got one eye fixed on his, his coming death. He's looking death in the face right now. He's looking at his coming foe, this battle that he will have on the cross, and for the three days in which he is buried, he's looking at that foe in the face right now, and he's saying, your time is coming. And so he's indignant, he's greatly troubled, he's bristling, and then it tells us that he wept. Right? The one verse of the Bible that everybody in this room has memorized. And while that's a funny joke, 
and funny because it's true, um, it's actually a great verse to have memorized because it reminds us that Jesus is not some robotic, cosmic policeman. He's a man. A more adequate translation when looking at the original language would be Jesus burst into tears. So this isn't, this isn't single-tier Jesus, right? This isn't removed Jesus. This isn't emotionally unavailable Jesus. This is Jesus stepping into our emotional reality. This is Jesus stepping into an understanding that death is real and that it is painful and that it has caused suffering for so many and allowing himself to be overcome with grief and with weeping for that reality. So that's how Jesus responds in his humanity, in who he is as a man. But Jesus is not just a man, he is also God. He is the Son of God coming into the world as Martha confesses him. And so there's another element, there's another place um, or, or, yeah, just another element to Jesus' response. And it starts in verse 39. It says this. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when Jesus says, take away the stone, Jesus is responding to the death of, death of Lazarus, not just out of humanity, but, but out of his divinity, and that he understands that he has authority, and in spite of Martha's protestation to the reality of the situation, which is that there is a dead man that has been dead for four days in there, Jesus knows the power that he wields. And he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He knows what he has come to do. He's not a magician hoping that he doesn't botch the trick. He is God about to make his glory known. And he says, Father, I thank you. Jesus not only knows the power he wields, the authority that is his, but he knows that he wields it because of his union with the Father. And I'm going to, read a verse that, um, or a set of verses that will explain that for us, um, because we actually skipped over them uh, in our reading of John, and so I'm just going to go back to John chapter 5 really quickly, and this is what it says, and this is what Jesus is alluding to for us. John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. Verse 21, For the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He wills. And so Jesus responds to the death of Lazarus, not by ignoring emotion, but by taking, upon, taking it upon himself, by wearing it, by entering into it. But he enters into